0: lot talk radio anyone charged with a criminal matter has the right to have their case heard before a judge or judicial officer of the court is entitled to a fair and public hearing by a competent independent and impartial court have strict court rules enforced such as the right of reply rules of evidence and be found innocent or guilty beyond reasonable doubt yet our most vulnerable can have their rights <coughs> Assets and decision-making rights removed by a public servant of the state, not a judge, in a tribunal setting that can ignore evidence and facts, and determine matters as they see fit, and conclude matters based on probabilities alone. Are you scared yet? Marty Oakley the PPJ Gazette Online and this is the DS Radio
1: Network. Good evening everyone and that was our beautiful Marty's voice. For those who don't know, Marty Oakley did pass away on April 1st of this year but myself, Reverend Ralph, Mar- Marcel Reed and Marcia Joyner are continuing Marty's legacy. Marty laid the foundation and we are building on it and we couldn't be more honored than to be here representing Marty. She will never, ever, ever be forgotten, and the show will always remain the Marty Oakley Show. We are so excited tonight. Tonight we have Reverend Ralph here. Say hey, Reverend. Good evening, everyone. And it's just the two of us today because we have so much stuff to go over Pennsylvania is just a hotbed of information and we want to make sure that we get everything out. So the first thing that we want to talk about is that there is going to be this panel that's coming up on June 1st and we want everyone to know about it. It's Thursday, June 1st at 6 p.m. Eastern time. And if you wanted the information, I did put the link in the promo, but just go ahead and Google a panel on Pennsylvania's Troubled Guardianship, and you should be able to find it. It's under Spotlight PA. So are you all signed up for the webinar, Reverend Ralph?
2: Yes, I am.
1: So am I. So let's talk about this a little bit. It looks like the panelists for this Is going to be Angela Columbus who is the investigative reporter for spotlight Pennsylvania and for those who tuned into a show that we did a few weeks ago with dr. Mary Witten about racketeering attorneys that she's the one who wrote the article that we were reporting on and I have a feeling she's the moderator and is really getting this going so it's really important if you want to get your story heard this is the opportunity for you to do it because you're going to get on her radar. There's a lot of people in Pennsylvania, and she's really focusing on Pennsylvania, but she's also, you know, finding out that it's going on all over the country. So definitely, if you want to be on the radar of an amazing investigative journalist, you need to be signing up for this seminar, and you need to submit a question. But now the next person that we have is... Also on the panelists is State Senator Art Haywood, and he's a Democrat. Have you heard of him before, Reverend Ralph?
2: Yes, I have. He has tried to sponsor several bills to reform guardianship, and unfortunately, neither the Democrats nor Republicans feel that's an important uh, matter for senior citizens. So uh, I have great respect for the senator. And it's a shame that he doesn't have the support that's needed to fix such a disgusting problem.
0: Well, it's
1: amazing to hear that there's such an amazing senator that's out there trying to represent we the people. So definitely, if we can get a really big turnout, we can show Senator Hayward that we support him and his efforts. And hopefully after... Um, the panel we can all send him emails or phone calls and letting him know that we appreciate him and that to please keep pushing forward on this agenda the next person that i see on this panel is a looks like a lawyer an elder law lawyer named steve feldman the good news is he's not featured anywhere in shenanigans on the montgomery county facebook page could this be a like a non-corrupt attorney what do you think reverend ralph
2: Well, they're as rare as unicorns, so I'm hoping for the best.
1: Yeah, I mean, the good news is I didn't recognize the name, so that had me really excited, so I know that, you know, miracles happen, and we could get that rare unicorn attorney, and boy, wouldn't that be cool if he could represent all of us. That would be amazing and get some change happening. And then the final panelist is Tina peoni. Now, Tina is the one who was the speaker at the Senate hearing on guardianship that was back in March. Tina is from Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, and she is currently Experiencing litigation going on with a family member of hers, and it's not going well, and she is speaking out about it. So she's going to be another, another panelist. She's also a professor of education and, and counseling and leadership, and she is a professor at Monmouth University. So definitely a very educated woman who is going to also be representing on this panel. So what people need to do is you can RSVP for free, but you need to go to the website. And then you can submit a question to events at spotlightpa.org. And I don't believe that there's a limit on how many questions that you can can submit. I haven't submitted my questions yet. I was waiting for for Reverend Ralph and I to have a discussion about this and to come up with some questions that we would like to see spoken about. Do you have any ideas, Reverend Ralph, of what sort of questions would be good for people to submit?
2: Well, uh, yeah, I have several, and basically they deal with constitutional law, uh, freedom of religion, which we're going to talk about and also mm-hmm. a new one that I happen to think about today, which is the Eighth Amendment of the Constitution, which prohibits cruel and unusual punishment, which goes along with the fact mm. that these guardians are denying uh, these victims basically how they were living before. And I uncovered, which I was going to speak about in a few minutes, but while I'm on the subject of it, uh, I had said uh, weeks ago, months ago, that in the Montgomery County website, the official website of Montgomery County, under the section of guardianship, there was a couple of sentences which basically stated how a guardian should perform his duties and how a guardianship should be run. And I said that this is basically should be used as the baseline of uh, all guardians and how they should be conducting their business with these unfortunate people that in their elder age, uh, their memory is not as good as it used to be. And again, this is something where these people should be uh, respected and helped in every way possible, not bled uh, of their bank accounts and their house like these guardians do uh, and the corrupt lawyers that represent them. And what was interesting was this week I happened to come across a law in Pennsylvania, and it's Pennsylvania uh, Title 20, uh, Section 5521. This is a law, Section 5521, Mm. Title 20. It says, and I quote, Duty of guardian of person. It shall be the duty of the guardian of the person to assert the rights and best interests of the incapacitated person, expressed wishes and preferences of the incapacitated person, shall be respected to the greatest possible extent. Where appropriate, the guardian shall assure and participate in the development of a plan of supportive services to meet the person's needs, which explains how services will be obtained. The guardian shall also encourage the incapacitated person to participate to the maximum extent of his abilities in all decisions which affect him to act on his own behalf whenever he is able to do so and to develop or regain to the maximum extent possible his capacity to manage his personal affairs. Son of a gun. It's a law. It's not something that wouldn't it be nice if these guardians did something nice like they should. No, it's a law. And this is what I believe should the people of Pennsylvania, and I might add, I wish people of other states would also look up those types of uh, uh, laws because they may find that they do have rights, they do have power, and this is uh, from what I believe is the basis of guardianship reform, which is simply to put things in writing as far as how guardians should behave, the rights of the person, and so forth. Because that's basically up in the air as far as what rights does the incapacitated person have. And it's never written down, and it basically is whatever the guardian feels like doing. Uh, For example, (laughs) does the guardian have the right to beat the person up? Does the guardian have a right to use that person as slave labor? Does that guardian have the right to rape that person? And it's basically, if they do have rights... And they can't do those things. Well, then they do have rights. Then, otherwise, then the person is literally a piece of property to the guardian to use in whatever ways he wants. Which the only seem the only uh, purpose uh, the guardian seems to think he has is to steal the person's money and his house. So, what I I've always encouraged this, and I've always mentioned this to the viewers listeners, that every state should have their own uh, guardianship uh, organization and association, a website. They should have their own website pertaining to their state. And people that may have ideas or laws that they come across, they can post them on that state's association. And this is why if people go to my website, protectmyparents.us, and you go to the section of links. You will, see, uh, you will see articles and links that start with PA, meaning Pennsylvania. And this is what I feel is important for the people of Pennsylvania to see those things because they have many definitions, they have different uh, laws and so forth that people can use to help them win their battle uh, in their fight to get the person back under their control. And this is something where... Uh, there are laws, there's constitutional laws, as I said, uh, the Eighth Amendment, which prohibits cruel and unusual punishment, basically when these guardians take such absolute uh, control of somebody as they own these persons, they seem to think, and they deny the families, the people, uh, the families, the uh, children, and so forth, the right to see these people and I'm hearing this a lot with people that contact me, that they are being yeah. denied visits with their loved person. And I've, been, uh, I've encountered this for a real long time uh, in the situation of my loved It's been love
0: going person. on for decades. Yeah. Yes,
2: that's true, Kaz. And the fact that, uh, and we will be touching upon this later, the fact that they, these guardians don't even care about people's constitutional rights, and most important their belief of their religion. Their religion is being yes. denied to them because when ministers, and I'll just talk about my situation, uh, I had maybe five or six ministers I asked to go visit my loved person to just to say hello and uh, talk to the person and so forth because I have been banned from seeing my loved person by the guardian. So, uh, So these ministers, and they all got back to me, They contacted me last week and the week before and said, we were told by the staff, we're not allowed to see your loved person. We've been prohibited from seeing that person. And in addition to no phone calls are allowed by this loved person to the person's friends of decades or the friends calling the person my loved person. So if this is not cruel and unusual punishment – Isolating somebody away from their friends, their family, uh, keeping uh, prohibiting a phone in their room, uh, prohibiting any type of reading material such as newspapers, magazines, all of which deal with uh, the uh, mental abilities, maintaining the mental abilities of that person who has a little bit of forgetfulness. And this is very important when you talk about... Uh, uh, people with dementia or Alzheimer's of different degrees, they need that mental stimulus. If not, the brain just simply dies, goes, you know, yeah. goes gradually dead. So there isn't a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist in the world that would say, no, keep the person in their room, don't give them anything to do, and, oh, they'll, what, get better? No, they won't get better. They'll get worse. And keeping these people, one of the things that we're trying to do in guardianship reform is trying to keep the person at home in the least restrictive uh, place that they can be so they can still do all the functions they used to do, no matter how minor. But it's keeping the person active mentally and also physically. So this is something where people do have uh, a chance to beat that guardian and to get control of that guardian again. If nothing else, get control of them as the guardian of the person. And this is very important. And as I just read, that's a law in Pennsylvania. But don't think any of those shysters, as I like to call these lawyers, don't think any of the shysters who are the lawyers for the guardians to bring that up. And like I said, I just saw that a couple of days ago. So... I plan to use it to the fullest extent. I'm going to be filing uh, motions and reconsiderations, motion to reconsider, to get rid of these guardians, as I did with the previous one, Dwayne Logie, uh, to get them away. Because this loved person is basically just sitting in a room, a tiny little room, with nothing to do day or night. And, again, it just really hurts me bad to think this person who at 98 still has many good years left if people do what they're supposed to do.
1: Absolutely. So we have a caller online already, and I know we have so much to cover because we were still going to talk about going pro se, but let's take this caller. We have area code 608. 608, you're live and on the air.
0: Hi, Kaz. How are you? And um, Ralph, um, Angela. Hello. Yes. Thank you for calling hello. in. You're welcome. I really appreciate this program and um, what you're speaking about today because this happened with my mother too, and um, you know her her rights were taken away from her. She, she didn't even have identity anymore she didn't have a voice to say what she wanted to do or what her preference were. Um, her family was not able to make those um those kind of um recommendations um when we did, we were retaliated on but with the um with the religion, my mother was a very religious person um ever since she was little. Um, my grandfather and grandmother were very spiritual and religious, and she was brought up in a family that was very strong faith, and that um, that was taken away from her. She was denied. She was denied watching her religious programs. She was made to watch these silly cartoon um, kind of programs that she had no interest in at all. She was not allowed to watch her, or listen to her, um, her CDs that she had. My, my dad, um, sang in the church and he also whistled in the church. She was not allowed to listen to those CDs, nor was she li- allowed to listen to, um, my dad had a lot of religious, um, CDs singing, you know, um, ones from the Gaithers, um, you know, many different religious um, songwriters, and she was not allowed to listen to that. Instead, they would force her to listen to music, loud music. It was very loud, and it made her very nervous, and it was music that she did not care for, but it was what the caregivers wanted, not what she wanted. In her own setting, in her own home, Um she wanted to listen to different um, kind of other religious programs, and she they they were she was not allowed to to do any of that. The other thing that was very concerning was that the pastor, when she became sick um, and had to be taken to the hospital, the pastor at the hospital was not allowed to go and pray with her and um, give her you know. Condolence and and you know comfort and security and you know and that's that was real important to her. It, it was just very very um, um, concerning that a pastor could not pray with you know his um, a person a member of his um, of this church. You know, and I was that is awful. I was, it is. It was yeah, absolutely. It just- It just made me think there is a
1: religion. And, of course, the First Amendment protects all religions. So there's so many different faiths that are practiced in the United States. There's one faith that they need their last rights. And if they are not given their last rights, they're fearful that they go to hell. Can you imagine that this is being done towards, like, they're already being isolated, and to have them be in such fear of their internal security Mm -hmm. You know,
0: that they wouldn't be allowed last night. Yes, it does produce fear in them because there's nothing more comforting to people that are, you know, have that spiritual belief than to have that prayer and, and to hear that prayer. Because this is what they're focused on. They're focused on the life that they're going to be, you know, going to. You know, they know that this life is coming to an end. So they're going to be stepping into another world. And to have, you know, not to have that comfort of that, you know, pastor and the people around her that love her or, you know, love that person pray for them is I can't think of a crueler thing than to to you know to ha- have that you know and I was reading you know some of the you know something articles about you know spirituality and like they were they did a study at the University of Chicago and they talked about spirituality and how it improves the quality of life for seniors with dementia it it you know practicing a religion they they found out in the study slows cognitive decline and reduce or stabilizes the cognitive disorders and you know for for you know it, it makes no sense you know why they wouldn't allow this when it, there's studies out there saying that it actually improves it so you know it, right. it's it just does not. And I think make everyone,
1: sense. everyone who's listening needs to needs to know, Angela is calling in from the state of Wisconsin. Reverend Ralph is reporting on the state of Pennsylvania. So this is not only a Pennsylvania issue. We have another caller. I do not even know where this area code is. Do we have time for another caller, Reverend Ralph, or or you have we? Certainly. Him a bit?
2: Bring them on.
1: Okay. Okay, I don't know what state this is, but we've got area code 313. Hold on, let me get them through. Area code 313, you're live and on the air. Hi, uh, this is uh, Cindy uh, calling from Michigan. Oh, Michigan. Hello, Cindy. Thank you for calling in. So we have a lot of states that are on the line right now.
0: Yes, um, I was calling about the religion thing again. Um, my mom is in guardianship, and she's not allowed to go to church either. Um, they make sure that my mom has to be back at 12 o'clock, and she's an hour away from me, and there's no budging. They, will make, they make sure that she's not allowed to go, that she has to be back at 12 o'clock. So, and I told them she really wants to go to church. Can she please be back later? So it doesn't even have to be a lot later. Just you know, like an hour later, just so that she can enjoy going to church. She was able to go one time, and she was so happy. She was singing the hymnals, and she can't even hear good to even be able to hear the message. But just being there, she was just lit up. She was so happy, and they won't even let her go. It's just I, you so know, sad. it was Reverend
1: Ralph. This is this is. This is mind-blowing. Reverend Ralph is the one who figured this one out. I believe it was just yesterday we were chatting, or I would have had it in the promo so more people could have called in. This is a new revelation that I didn't even think about. And Reverend Ralph, thank you so much for bringing this to our attention. What happened to Harvey, I'm just going to say it's not just Christians that are being denied their right to religion. Harvey was a Buddhist and harvey was in guardianship in montgomery county pennsylvania and when the buddhist belief is is that your soul does not leave your body for eight days and we had to go to court to fight those guardians to cremate they were trying to cremate him before the eight days were up because they knew that we had requested a uh, forensic pathologist autopsy and all the lawyer fees i'm sure they build that harvey's estate to fight this we had to pay an attorney and they actually had to go in and in order to stop it you know did this like right to right to religious you know expression and the fact that as a buddhist they were going to force a cremation before eight days. Where in his faith and all his friends that were Buddhists, they would have thought his soul would have been burned up because they do not believe that the soul leaves the body until eight days. So this is really some disgusting stuff. And it's something that our forefathers thought was so important that if you read the First Amendment, it is the first few sentences. It is that topic that is that is brought up first before even freedom of speech and freedom to assemble the freedom to practice your religion and to not have a state imposed religion put on you was so important to our founding fathers and that guardians are denying this right across the country we now just had three states report on this abuse reverend ralph what do you think like this was this was your uncovering what do you think about what you've just uncovered
2: Well, our listeners brought up some very, very good points. The fact that when these people are elderly in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, they are thinking of death. And they want that comfort to know that uh, if they are religious, that they can talk to somebody that will reassure them that they will have a nice life, that they will see their loved ones who have passed on uh, before them. And I I just can't imagine a guardian uh, doing things that upset people, that take away from their pleasure. Uh, The only thing left would be to drug them, which I had a section about uh, for tonight, that this massive drugging that goes on at these nursing homes, which is basically totally unregulated, the fact that these people are being turned into zombies instead of giving them what they want, happiness, happiness. Happiness of being with people, having a phone in their room, being able to watch movies that they enjoyed. Uh, a previous caller talked about that they had to um, look at children's movies and so forth. I have seen that at first hand at the uh, nursing home, or as I call it, the pig pen, where my loved one is. The fact that... They're, they do watch these children's movies, and the people just basically are sleeping because there's nothing to stimulate their mind. They're not dead. They're not, they didn't go back to being a three-year-old. They're, they have a lot of strong mental abilities, and the idea of at these nursing homes or at the one I'm talking about, their idea of therapy for these elderly people with a little memory problem is simply giving them a coloring book and some crayons. Now, that is not something that's going to help their memory and keeping them mentally stimulated. They, and if it's not in the room where they eat the food and watch these children's movies, they're back in their room sleeping on the bed. But religion is such an important part of these people's lives, especially the ones that are in their 70s and 80s and 90s, because it dates back to when people had ethics and morals. They, weren't, they right. didn't do the things that the people today do as far as uh, breaking yeah. the law and trying to uh, take advantage of people and so forth. And it, it seems that these guardians are the ones that should be indoctrinated into religion because they're certainly not believing in what the basic principles of humanity are, and they certainly don't know about the law and the Constitution. And these guardians, as we all know, They're not content to have one or two people. They have 10, 20, 50, 100, 300 nationwide these people have. And it's like they're collecting them like people collect coins or stamps. And, again, I've also found in these nursing homes that I have contacted that they don't have a full-time minister that comes there. So you have people that can't talk to their families. They can't see their minister or rabbi or whatever. And these people are just sitting, just disintegrating. And, again, it's it's basically, I feel a very, again, another example of the pain that these guardians inflict on these people unnecessarily when they can have the comfort of knowing that the religion that they've always believed in will provide them with a happy life after they have left.
1: You know, if... If I would um, think of a guardian in my personal religion, the guardian actually is representing, in my religion, a Satan. So I know there are many religions that believe in evil and Satan. I believe these guardians are basically, that is what Satan would want, is for people to not be able to practice their religion. Just putting that out there, you know? It's very evil. I agree with evil. you, I yeah. agree because I, I mean... Think-
2: I I think it's an example of where Satan is alive and well, and he's on earth, and he's got people working for him.
1: Yeah, I think you've really uncovered something something really huge. And I know that we'll get to the next topic that you are going to talk about. The reason why you have really started to dig into this is because, Reverend Ralph, you are now having to go pro se, and I know you have learned some wisdom about pro se, so we're going to have a little chat about going pro se, and how do you do this?
2: Well, one of the things, again, when you start digging, you start uncovering a lot of things. It's, uh, it's amazing what you find, and it goes along with people starting an association in their state for uh, the laws that pertain to their state. And it's important that people simply Google pro se, uh, Google orphans court rules, uh, and a few other things to Google. And one of the things I found out about pro se is people have this misunderstanding. Again, they don't know any better because they've never been really involved in the legal process. The fact that uh, you think if you don't have – if you're not going to have a lawyer because you can't afford one, Uh, you do have the right to be pro se and as I found out unfortunately day one of the petition hearing for my loved person uh, Judge Weilheimer said to me uh, well you have the right to be pro se but you're expected to know as much as a lawyer and I sat there dumbfounded in disbelief how could anybody just simply be expected to know as much as a lawyer who went to college for four years majored in law then went to law school for three years, and now he's a lawyer. Plus, how many years has he been practicing to learn all this stuff? So one of the Mm -hmm. things that I found out is when you're pro se, you are expected to know as much as a lawyer. The judge will not give you any leniency whatsoever, and lawyers being what they are, they're not going to help you out to uh, present your case. They're going to just run right over you. They're going to talk in all the legalese mumbo-jumbo they can, and they're going to use case laws and whatever, and it could be a case law about how to bake a cake, and you won't know otherwise. So it's basically, unfortunately, in this guardianship mess that people are in, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't. You spend your money to hire a lawyer at $350, $400 an hour, and he gives you these bills every month of how much money you owe him. And the problem is you don't even know how much time he actually spent. Now, he, he's saying, well, I spent three hours to do research on the case. It could have been ten minutes. It could have been a case that he already knew yeah. about. So he just bills you uh-huh. for three hours. And one of the things I learned, Cos, was these lawyers do not uh, bill by the hour They bill based on how much money they want for that week, for a car payment, a house payment, a kid's college fund. That's how they bill. And this is something (laughs) where your auto mechanic, auto mechanics for decades have had a book called the Chilton Manual, and it has all the cars and trucks and all types of repairs. So a mechanic can look in this book for your car, your year, your model, And if you want to replace the brakes, it will tell him how much time it will take. So he can prove to his customer, this is how much time I took to do this case or to do this repair. But that's not true with the lawyers. So these people are basically gouged for every dollar they have just because that's how much money a lawyer wants for that week. And what's interesting is when you first sit down with a lawyer, he acts real nice and he'll start chatting with you. He'll say, oh, whereabouts do you live? And you tell him you think it's conversation. And then he says, oh, what kind (laughs) of job do you have? And you tell him. Well, what he's doing is he's finding out how much money you're making, how much your house is worth, which he can look up very easily on his computer. So now he knows about how much money he can get from you. So when your pros say – Again, you're facing a battle where all the law books are written in a foreign language called, as I call it, legalese, which everybody knows about. They know it's a, it's a language all of its own, and it's part of mm-hmm. how the lawyers keep the business all to themselves. They don't want anybody to do some things very basic and very simple that they don't need a lawyer for it. And you might see on the news or on the Internet these websites to do legal um, – legal matters that you do it for yourself like there's one called uh, legal zoom which i've used once or twice and there's others and they do very reduced rates uh to do something like incorporating or llc or something like that and it the point is it saves people money and it's a business and when you have a business you have competition so with pro se yeah, you you are basically at the, uh, behind the eight ball, as they say, and this Judge Weilheimer made it very clear to me she was not going to care that I don't know the law. But the one thing I was able to do was, because of my training uh, for 41 years doing lie detection – I dissected that psychologist, Lidakis, who did the evaluation. And this is what I encourage people to do. If you're going to start someplace, find out what was used to determine a person's incapacitation. If they're a psychologist and they use this title of doctor, Ph.D., find out, ask the psychologist, what did he do his dissertation in? If it had to do with cartoons or uh, how to bake cakes, well, that's not being a expert in psych, in um, mental uh, deficiency with situations like dementia or Alzheimer's. So, just something like that, you could disqualify that psychologist if he says, "Well, basically, uh, I didn't have my doctorate in what I'm doing now," uh, which is as uh, involved with people with memory uh, situations if they talk about if the psychologist talks about how they uh, do work at these different places with people with memory problems get specifics where when how long and contact the people that he claims he's working for and that's something that was never done in the petition hearing of my loved person it was oh you have a doctorate okay uh, you say you work for these, with these people who have memory problems? Okay, and it was just assumed and just accepted by the lawyer and the um, judge in the case. But what I did was I tore him apart, his evaluation, and I found out in Pennsylvania there are no standards or requirements as to what an accurate evaluation is to determine incapacitation. So that's the first thing. You're going to be way, way behind everybody else as far as legal knowledge, but you can tear somebody apart, and maybe if you appeal it, uh, depending on how long it is in your state, 30 days in Pennsylvania, you might be able to have a very good reason to appeal and win the fact that the guy was unqualified to do any evaluation and as far as incapacitation, I, I was dumbfounded on the way this case was done on my loved person. The fact that this quack psychologist Ladakis spent only about two hours with this person, and nobody—I was, wasn't allowed to be there—and he also admitted he never audio recorded or video recorded, simply using a cell phone of the session. But in his report. He made all these claims about what person could do, could not do, could not say correctly, and so forth. But there is no proof to this day that he ever gave an evaluation. And to take something that lightly, where a person's life will be basically destroyed and their bank accounts ruined, based on somebody that just says, take my word for it, and the guy had been used before, and they knew he'd play ball with them. He would say they're 100% incapacitated just so the person would get their bank accounts taken over and their house taken over. Mm-hmm. So by, and this is important in all the other states. What does the psychologist audio record the session to prove what was said and how it was said or done by that person? And this is something where they're doing it for legal reasons, so they better be able to have proof. And this is why if you're pro se, you just cannot do everything you want to do. And even if you try to ask questions and they're good, relevant questions, don't be surprised if either the judge says asked and answered or uh, we've already uh, asked that or we already covered it. And you're sitting there thinking, no, we didn't. And even the lawyer for your uh, unfortunate person, he will or she will object and say, oh, that's argumentative, or we don't need to hear that, and the judge will agree. They will try to shut you down in every way possible. And the lawyers will not give you any, any sympathy whatsoever. They are sharks. That's why they call them sharks. They don't care about feelings. They don't care about what you're trying to do. They do not want to be fair. They will attack you in every way possible. So, again, I don't like to give people bad news, but it's what are you going to do? Spend all your money on a lawyer that you don't even know is going to do anything right, and then you're left broke, maybe in near bankruptcy, or are you going to try to do it yourself where you get your rear end kicked? And this is where I've heard so many stories of people that they've had to give up because now they're going to maybe have uh, losing their house. They have families. They have bills they have to pay. So what are they going to do? Spend all their money and be on welfare? And this is a very, very difficult, you know, situation for people to be in where they cannot do what they want for their person that they love so much. So. Again, you've got to look up certain terms like pro se uh, or Google pro se, Google Orphan's Court Rules, things of that nature. Uh, By all means, one of the tricks they like to do, the lawyers, is not to let that person come to court to testify. And that's something very Mm -hmm. important. Uh, Again, you've got to know these things. But these are questions that are important. Can that lawyer... Uh, prohibit or can the judge prohibit the person from coming to court to testify on their own behalf? And something people don't get is the judge or the the judge may say, okay, that person is declared incapacitated, but you have degrees of incapacitation. Now, my loved person, a month before they were declared incapacitated, was still driving their car. 75 years without a ticket or a, a traffic accident. Now, there's no way a person can drive, make thousands of decisions every mile, and yet they're 100% incapacitated. The numbers just don't add wow. up.
0: That's
2: why you have to realize that who knows that person better, some quack that spends two hours with them and they can't even prove what he did to make this evaluation, or the family, the family that spends how many hours a week, and especially if the person is living at their house or living on their own, that's what's important is what determines if a person should be declared incapacitated. So uh, it's important that the people do not simply let the lawyer go his merry way, the, you know, the lawyer that they have hired. Don't just assume that that lawyer is simply going to work miracles. Because if he decides to quit, and I can assure you I've had many times where I hired a lawyer for a case, and halfway through it he quits. He says, oh, I'm bored, or I have another case that's more important. Now you don't know any about these papers that have been filed, especially in guardianship, and everybody knows how complicated those matters are. You're suddenly dumped with all these papers, Uh, legal papers that have gone back and forth, motions and all this other stuff, you've got to stay on top of it. Every time a document is filed, you've got to ask your lawyer you want a copy of it because if he does quit, then you at least have some idea of what's been going on. And this is so important because otherwise that whole case can be lost just because you assumed that the lawyer is doing everything right and will never quit and never give up. So being pro se has a few benefits, but not many. And this is where, oh, and before I forget, some law schools, some law schools, they have a professor or two professors that they have students. And these students, to get extra credit, they take on various legal matters with the professor overseeing what they're doing. So you might want to contact a local law school and ask them, do you have a professor? And, you know, their professors cover all different types of law, civil, criminal, and everything. You might want to contact that law school and say, do you have a program where a professor has students that want to take on certain legal uh, cases with the professor overseeing it for extra credit? And you might be surprised that, yeah, maybe they do. Uh, the ones that I have found, they just basically want to do simple things like uh, somebody didn't get their Social Security uh, for a couple of months or, you know, some simple thing like that. Um, some of these TV networks, they have so-called investigative reporters. You might want to contact them and maybe they'll expose that case if you have good, solid information on how your loved person has been taken advantage of and denied uh, their constitutional rights, and simply the guardianship is basically based on fraud. So uh, maybe next time we'll cover, or I'll cover more about the uh, situation of being pro se and so forth, but... Please, people have to Google these things. They have to get the documents from the lawyers to study and to watch because they may come up with good ideas that the lawyer never thought about, especially if he doesn't do these type of cases on a regular basis. So I hope I've given some people some good ideas that they can look into to help them out because I think it will be a benefit to them. Kaz?
1: Um, Wow, that was amazing. I also would like to add, if you are getting into guardianship, and unfortunately, I didn't do this, Google the name of every single guardian and attorney that you are now dealing with. Because those reviews are out there, and especially if you are a victim in uh, Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, you will come up onto the Facebook page, Shenanigans in Montgomery County, and you will read all sorts of reviews. And I know many, many people have come together because of Mr. Shenanigans. So those reviews make a difference. If you are in currently an abusive review, get out there and review the people that you are dealing with at, on every sort of site that you can so that you can warn others before they get to, into the place you know, get Cos- these same people to, done for them. Yes.
2: Cos, I just want to add a couple more points uh, that I have found.
0: Absolutely.
2: The, uh, in America, if, if the psychologist is handling or doing the evaluation, there is a national organization called the American Psychological Association, and every state has their own psychological association. Check with them to see if that psychologist is a member because what I have found is the two quacks that did the evaluations on my love person, they were not a member of the American Psychological Association for the past 10 years, and they were not members of the Pennsylvania uh, Psychological Association. And that's very important, because anything you can use to show that these people are not qualified, it's very, very important that you can get these people thrown out, and even if the person, if your loved one was judged to be incapacitated, the fact that maybe if you have 30 days or whatever to appeal it, that might give you a good basis of appeal that these people might have not been allowed to be members because of their past, or what they had done. Maybe uh, in Pennsylvania, both of them only go back 10 years, the American Psychological Association and the Pennsylvania so- Psychological Association. So if they only go back 10 years, uh, and usually they're very secretive, they won't tell you if they've been a member and they were thrown out or something like that. Again, with subpoenas, you could find that out, you know, if your lawyer subpoenas their records, you may find that these people screwed up so many times that they were thrown out uh, of the association. Now, something else is important is the fact that there is two organizations that are relevant. There's what's called the National Guardianship Association at guardianship.org, and they uh, these guardians, some of them, belong to that association. And it basically just, you know, it costs a couple hundred bucks to be a member each year. Uh, and what's important is if they are a member of guardianship.org, and it's located in Pennsylvania, if your guardian is screwing up, then contact them, or even before, contact them to see if they're a member. If they're not a member, find out if they were ever a member. Again, maybe they were thrown out for incompetence or something. But even if they're a member uh, and they're screwing up, the guardian, then file a complaint against them to get them decertified or to get them thrown out as a member because they use that, uh, you know, information to say, oh, I'm a member of this national organization, well, the fact is maybe they're not, and there's a reason why they're not. The other one, what's important, the other organization is called Center for Guardianship Certification, again, that's also in Harrisburg, and to certify these people, uh, this this association or organization, they give a 100-question test and it's multiple choice. And all the person has to do, and they can take it 100 times if they want in order to pass, um, in order to pass the course to be certified, they only have to get 70 out of 100 questions correct. 70 out of 100? uh, That's barely passing in school. And that, to me, especially when they're multiple choice, you can just guess. The fact that it's so easy to be certified as a what? As a guardian to do what? I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous just how easy it is for people to take over people's lives and steal from them. So, again, find out, are they certified to be a guardian? And this is important because if they're not certified and there's no reason why they wouldn't want to be, I mean, that's prestige if nothing else. Uh, not that much prestige, but still to say, oh, I'm (laughs) certified to be a guardian. Well, if they're not certified, then you don't want these people to be in control of other people's lives or especially your loved one. And if the person, the guardian, is a guardian of the estate, think about this. If you opened up a business where you're going to handle people's money, millions of dollars of people's money, and you call yourself an investment counselor or something like that, You have to get all these licenses by the state. You have to pass all these courses by the state and so forth, and insurance. And yet anybody can be a guardian of the estate, handle their money, take control of their Mm -hmm. house. They can take out a mortgage on the person's house and simply not pay it back. And remember, the whole purpose of guardianship for these people is to make money and the slimy ways that they can do it, and the families never know about it. So this is why it's just, again, laws have to be specific. You just can't have anybody who feels like being a guardian allowing them to take control of of a person's assets that may be millions of dollars based on a quack evaluation that he made up that he can't even prove he ever gave them. I mean, my goodness. I mean, it's like the people went from the mental hospital to become guardians.
1: Well, and as we know, and this is documented, in Montgomery County, they actually appoint felons to be guardians. And the one name that I know for sure is a felon because it was written up in the newspaper, her name is Gloria Byers. Well, what other felons have they appointed? I mean, if you appoint one felon, how do we know the other ones aren't felons? Were you aware of that, Reverend Ralph, that Montgomery County appointed felon, a felon to be a guardian?
2: No, I did not. But here's something in might quite oh, yeah. interesting, Cause uh, I checked with the Center for Guardianship, uh, for the certification, and I found out yeah. Deb Clock is not certified to be a guardian. And also oh, the guardian in charge hear. of my love person, Pam Blummer, is not certified. So that kind of tells you something, too.
1: Wow
2: oh I I have some people you like to hear about clock
1: wow so so Montgomery County they appoint felons and they appoint people who can't even take a guardianship certification class that gives me a lot of confidence so I got a question so I know that in your in your um, previous job you were you did lie detections what is it like when you're sitting in the courtroom and you're looking at all these people you have got to be looking at them with different eyes than the rest of us would. Do you, do you ever notice, like, catching them lying and you can't do anything about it, or, can, can you, or do you have to have them up to a machine or something to know?
2: Well, good question, Kaz. Uh, when, people talk, when I talk about lie detection, people, the first thing they talk, think about is the polygraph. That's the machine with the attached wires. It's been around since
1: 1920.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, the system that I use was invented back in 1969 called Voice Stress Analysis, and that was invented by two retired Army colonels of counterintelligence. And I had several uh, instructors, including the co-inventor of it, train me back in 82. And it was a fascinating, fascinating uh, type of business to have. I've been retired for a couple of years. And it's true, when you test somebody, and I really The one goal I had was I hoped I could prove somebody was telling the truth. No matter how much it looked, what happened looked like they were guilty, I really enjoyed proving somebody was telling the truth. And this is why, as part of our uh, system, we recorded people on a tape recorder from beginning to the end of the session to protect everybody's rights to protect us from being falsely accused of saying something by them and protecting them that we're falsely accusing them of something. So that's how important recording, audio recording, is. Now, as far as being in court, it really hurt me when I was able to prove somebody was telling the truth by using our system, and the way these shysters work, uh, they, just, they can just twist anything into what they want. And unfortunately, again, I wish I had the power to keep people out of prison if they were innocent, and this is something where it's just a shame of how these lawyers can just screw people over, and it's like it's just part of the day's work. And it's sort of interesting, the mafia has an expression, it's nothing personal, it's just business, and that's the way the motto for these shysters are, but there were so many types of cases where it was borderline, where it looked like the person might have done it, but on the other hand there were things that showed maybe they did not do it. And I was very pleased that I could convince law enforcement and maybe people in the public defender's office where I said, this person is innocent, I'll bet my money on it, and by them hearing that they will go a little extra mile to try to, Uh, say, a public defender will spend more time on that case in order to get that person off. But one of the sleazy tactics that uh, lawyers use, prosecutors use, is it's called overcharging. So, for example, if you throw a brick through somebody's window, by the time the prosecutor gets done adding up your case, he'll have you going to prison for 2,000 years. Just because he'll cite every crime there is and say that was part of what you did by throwing a rock through the window. So they do it deliberately because they know the lawyer will say, their own lawyer or public defender will say, oh, that prosecutor, he's going to give you 200 years, but if you plead guilty, he'll only give you five years. Well, now he's get, the prosecutor's getting a victory. And that's all they look for, victories. These lawyers are so egotistical, they have to leave that courtroom with a victory, or else it's like it ruins their day if they just can't falsely accuse people just to get a victory. So it is a, it was a very fascinating business, and I wish I had more power to convince a judge and so forth or a jury that these people were telling the truth. And what's interesting about this cause is, when I, talked to, when I used to talk to lawyers and all about lie detection results, evidence, they'd say, well, it's not allowed in court as evidence because there's no studies that proved it's accurate. Well, there are, but they don't want that because if ever a lie detector was invented that was 100% accurate that they couldn't dispute, 1.2 million lawyers that exist in this country, half of them would go out of business just because taking a simple test for a couple of hundred bucks would save them tens of thousands of dollars in lawyer fees. So, uh, you know, that, would be, that money would be taken out of the lawyer's pocket. So it's, it's a shame, but what's interesting is that you have these psychologists making up these fake evaluations, and they're taken as fact, even if there's no proof that they're mm-hmm. accurate. And that's something else I've, you know, established in court, that they were, with this Ladakis. I got him to admit, no, he, didn't have, he did not have any independent studies that proved his evaluation had any degree of accuracy. So this is why, again, people get screwed over every time with these psychologists because they can make up their own evaluations and they're considered 100% accurate in court. So, unfortunately, that's the way it is today, cause.
1: You know, if you have a reporter interview you, which I've been interviewed by reporters before, they ask your permission, do you mind if I record this? And now I say, yeah. I say, yeah, that's fine. You can record me because we're doing an interview. Because they're going to want to go back and hear what I said and make sure that it's really accurate. And if they would publish something that I said and I tried to say, I never said that, I never said that, they would have the proof that I said that. And so it's just like, I mean, I bet you they interview football coaches and turn on the, you know, the recorder for a football coach or for this, you know. So the fact that they're do that they can't turn on a recorder for something as serious as taking away some every right that a person has, including their right to practice their own religion. I, I mean, that it's just insanity. And I wanted to go back. There was something that we were talking about about drugging drugging the elderly in the nursing home. And I'm going to tell you why that is. So imagine that you're running a business and the most expensive thing in a business is your payroll. So the lower you can get the payroll, the more money you're going to make. And so if you're running a nursing home and you have mobile Residents that are walking around and they have a, you know, a really high fall risk and they're, you know, wanting to do activities and stuff. You're going to have to hire more payroll to keep to have people employed to take care of all those things. And so what a really bad nursing home will do that all they care about is money is they need to lower the payroll so the owners and investors can make more money. And how you lower the payroll is you chemically restrain. And that is when you do, for example, what happened to Harvey, five milligrams of Halidol, not .5, five five milligrams of halidol a day. Now that goes against the 19, anyone who's having that happen to their loved ones. I'm going to tell you the law that's being broken. It's called the 1987 Nursing Home Act, and it was signed by President Ronald Reagan. And in that, When you over-medicate someone to that extent, it's called a chemical restraint. So they're not actually putting, like, restraints on their arms and legs so that they can't get up. They're restraining them through the drugs. And the reason they are doing that is to lower their payroll so that if you have someone just laying in bed all day, you don't have to hire as much staff to care for them. And I think everyone needs to realize this is why they're doing it. It's wrong, oh. and it's against the law, but no one cares, especially Judge Ott. He never cared, but, yeah.
2: Because it's, it, you it's brought a, up
1: a law since 87. Yeah.
2: I'm sorry, cause uh, You brought up an excellent point, and I, I want you to make a note to have this segment about nursing homes on next week because I have a lot of notes about that, notes that would scare you as far as the uh, chemical, uh, that the lack of uh, laws that these nursing homes have to follow pertaining to giving medications and also the fact that it's well known and well accepted that the employees steal the really high quality uh, drugs like oxycodone and other types of uh, obituates uh, to relieve pain in patients but they're taking the pills for themselves to steal it. Uh, so I, I'd like to, oh. next week, I, I think that would be an excellent topic to put on the list that we can talk about, because you're yes. exactly right, Kaz, that you have people that are being drugged just to let them sleep day and night so they don't, the staff doesn't have to be hired, which costs the nursing home money. And that's very, right. very good point. And, again, if they're just sl- slightly woozy, they could get up and fall and hurt their head and so forth just because of the drugging. And again, it, it's got these nursing homes. Honestly, they're they're just pathetic. Again, you're right, cause in every way, they drug these people because it's cheaper than having the staff to try to give them what they need because of their condition. And that's what's important. Just like in a hospital, you go to a hospital with a broken leg; they have to give everything they have to treat your broken leg. At a nursing home. They don't care if you don't have a memory uh, as good as you used to. It's their responsibility to work with you to help you maintain that memory function as best it can, and they're not doing it. So basically, that's fraud in my book. Because oh you got yeah, a good and you know there.
1: and. There are nursing homes that can do it right. For example, we were going to move Harvey into a nursing home here in Wisconsin, and I live really close to a Big Ten university. It's called the University of Wisconsin in Madison, Wisconsin. And they have a program where the students go into the nursing homes, and part of their class and their grade is that they go in there and they interact with When I had done the tour, we were I went into like a lockdown dementia unit, and it was filled with students interacting with people. everyone was up. I saw a few people laying in their bed so it's possible to run a nursing home right. You bring in the interns, you work on the education. There's all kinds of government grants out there for you to bring, to have the stimulation happen. And you can even enlist volunteers. We actually have, you know, we have the betrayed by hospice stories that go on and all the bad hospices that are, you know, all around the country. But there's one good one here in Madison called a grace. And basically, the people in our community volunteer to work into the hospice. So I don't hear, I, I tell people so much, you have no idea how blessed we are with some of the things that we have here. And that is, it was um, some very, very wealthy people donated like I don't even know how many hundreds of millions of dollars to build this hospice. And they have, I mean, there's so much volunteers. They have a thrift shop that helps fund it. And you never hear the stories of horror like you hear when you tune into Marsha's show. And both my parents, had you know passed and they we used to grace hospice i'm sure there's a few bad apples that are in there but for the most part you have volunteers you have students and they want to come in and they want to help and they want to do the right thing but you need to have a nursing home director that isn't lazy and just wants to take their paycheck, but that is actually caring and engaged and is going to allow the interns into the facility to work with everybody. And that's how you can get around some of that payroll issue if you feel like you just can't afford it. Get it involved in these programs because the students want to learn. This is They don't want to learn how to chemically restrain people. That's not why they went to school. They want to learn how to do the right thing. People don't go to school to figure out how to harm people and that are going to school in these, in you know, for these degrees. So there really was such thing as a good nursing home, and they're out there. But you know, a lot of if you kind of look near the linear universities and look at the degrees that are around the universities, and as you're, if you are allowed to choose the nursing home for your loved one, which a guardian won't allow you to do that. But if you would be in this situation these are some of the questions that you want to look at and just walk around and when you're touring the nursing homes you the things that you want to think about first smell do you smell like that urine smell if you're smelling that uh-uh, don't don't go there these are some things that you want to look at just look at the cleanliness and really look and see are the residents out of their room are they Doing activities, those are the number one things that you need to be looking for if you are looking at placing one of your loved ones in a facility. You have to be so careful that you pick the right facility. Don't just read the brochure and believe it. Like someone said, a fancy chandelier can be very deceiving.
0: So Yeah, yeah. yeah,
2: you, you got a good point there, again, as far as touring the nursing home. Uh, and it, what's interesting is they always want advance notice when you're going to be there just to clean up everything and make it look all nice and pretty for, mm. you know, possible situations. And what's interesting is when these guardians put somebody, a guardian of the person, when they put somebody into a nursing home, I've learned why did they choose that nursing home? And the answer is they're getting a kickback. That's all there is to yep. it. And I've had a situation, again, with my loved person where this person is in a lockdown section uh, with basically with people with mental and behavior problems, which the person should not be there. And what's interesting is I went to the director about six months ago, and I said, look, on the other side you have rooms that are twice as big, beautiful dining rooms, activities rooms, library, the whole bit, people that are basically – very 95% normal, but it's just they want a place that they can live. So I said, why not put this person on the other side? And he said, well, he'll look into it. A week later, I said, well, what did you think? Uh, You know, are you going to put the person on the other side? I thought the guy was going to have a heart attack. He goes, oh, no, 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 I I can't do that. Oh, I, I can't do that. But he wouldn't tell me why. And the answer is when a section is requiring more care for a person, they charge more. They charge and it's more. the bottom line that they're most concerned with. How much money are they losing or making every year? And that's why when they have empty beds, they're losing money. So these guardians have made deals with these directors that, oh, if they put, bring somebody there, they'll get so much money a year or something like that. So you kind of have to look behind the curtain to find out why did they do something that way? It's because they were making money at it.
1: I've heard there was a, um, and this was in Chester County, which is right next to Montgomery County. I heard there's a nursing home that gave the guardian finder fee, the up, the one upfront finder fee was $4,500 for one person. They gave the guardian $4,500 to move their loved one into that into that nursing facility, but that was in Chester County. But still, it's right there. That's the kind of money that they're making to refer oh, yeah. someone.
2: I they mean, that's, making...
1: that's a lot of money, just to refer someone, $4,500. And you, you can know, imagine
2: if these people have 10, 20, 50 clients, uh, you know, they're making a pile of money. I mean, there are so many ways these people can be making, these guardians are making money. It's not funny. Uh, and I won't hang a couple because I don't want to give anybody ideas on what they can do, you know, these corrupt guardians. Yeah. But, again, there's so many yeah. ways they can make money that the families will never know about. For example, yeah. when they have a house and assets and money, they'll sell the house really cheap to a friend Yep. And then they'll resell the house at full value, and the family will never know that the house had been resold. They would never think of it. But in the meantime, they've made hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they've divided up among the mm-hmm. racket, the gang, uh, among themselves. And this is part of the profit of being a guardian, of how they can steal from people.
1: Yep, and now people can look that information up at Zillow.com, and we exposed that just a few weeks ago with Dr. Mary Witten. The comments that were coming in was the the main show, it was all the comments on what she uncovered about that home sale, where, they, where three months later they made about a $200,000 profit from selling that home, and that is a case that's going to be litigated there in Montgomery County, so we're really hoping that the right judgment is made in that case so we'll be watching that one you know real quick because we don't have a whole lot of time left we had a challenge that we were going to start calling senators and i'm just wondering if everyone did their challenge i did the challenge now here's what happened So I call the number, and it's the congressional hotline number. You know, I even have it in my caller ID now, and I put my little thing up on the Facebook. Everyone call the number. Okay, so I get a very nice person. I call the number, and then our call challenge was to Bob Casey, and I get his voicemail because, you know, you're never going to talk to a real person anyway, and it was like press one for this, press two for this, press three, and then the call drops, so I can't even leave. I can't even leave my message. So what I had to do instead is I just Googled the senator's name and I found you can send an email. So I'm still going to do it. I found that really bad that the call dropped when I called the congressional hotline. But we're going to keep doing this. So everyone, I hope we had people calling Bob Casey's office. And we have another one for this week. So if you haven't called Bob Casey's office, do that right now. Or, well, not right the second, but do it. You can do it any time of the day. It's 24-7, or you can do an email if you don't want to, if you don't want to do the email. Okay, the next person that I have chosen for the call of the week, and we are going through, we're going to go like Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican. So we're going to be equal opportunity. So this is the second ranking member in the Senate Committee on Aging. And he is from the Hoosier state, and his name is Senator Mike Braun, and it's spelled B-R-A-U-N. Um, now let's do a quiz. Who knows what the Hoosier what state is the Hoosier state? Missouri No Whoops. I <laughs> think <laughs> to go back and look. Oh my gosh, I have it up on my phone. Okay. Anyone on the line know the Hoosier state? I think it's Indiana. Hold on. It's Indiana. We should know this stuff. Indiana is the Hoosier state. Okay, so Indiana, Mike Braun, and he is on the panel, or he's on the Senate Committee for Aging, and we're going to call and we're going to thank him for holding the hearing that was back in March, and then you're going to do a real quick summary of what you are experiencing in guardianship. And then you are going to ask that they do another hearing in a, in a speedy manner because they let five years go between this hearing that they just did in March. The hearing that they had done before on guardianship was five years previous. And Bob Casey said that, like, right when he was starting off the hearing. So we would like to see another hearing in a timely manner. That's what we were asking for, a timely manner, not five, another five years from now. And we'll all be really nice because if we yell and scream, they're not going to listen. So we have to play nice. Um, so everyone, now we know what a Hoosier is. It's in Indiana. There must be a University of Indiana that's like a Big Ten because that sounds like a big sports name, Hoosier. Anyway, okay. that, when you go to his, his website, it says Hoosier State. And I'm like, wait, which, what state is that? So Indiana, Mike Braun, That's our next assignment for calling. And then next week we do have, we we do have the Australians coming on Reverend Ralph. So we might have to do nursing home the following week and we can maybe find, maybe we could find a nursing home director. That's a good one to come on. But anyway, what's going on in Australia, the United Nations has actually sanctioned, put sanctions on the country of Australia for crimes against humanity. And it's, and some of it is for how the elderly and the disabled are being treated, as long as the pri- as well as the prisoners.
2: That's that's unbelievable. It's, yeah. Uh, but to go back to what you were just saying, cause about the uh, voicemail dropping you, I have found that out too with these politicians. You don't get a live person anymore. You just get voicemail, and sometimes it is dropped, or they'll say. Mailbox is full and you can't leave a message. So I, I can't believe these politicians who have two, three, four, five district offices at taxpayers' expense, they can't pay a person in college or whatever just to answer the phones as opposed to a voicemail? That, that, that's yeah. beyond, beyond understanding how they could be making so much money and all the perks that go along with it, and they have a voicemail for people that are calling up. And yet, they can have four and five district offices.
1: I yeah, I I agree. Um, it's just it's just something. Just so do the email. I'm still waiting for my email response, and um, I'm gonna wait and see if I get it on my email. So, did you do your call to or did you do your message to Bob Casey, Reverend Ralph, or did you not Oops. do your homework?
2: Uh, well. <laughs> I did not do my homework. I was a little bit uh, busy this week uh, with uh, my loved person trying to get somebody to go see this person. So no, I, I I tell the truth. I don't want to get struck by lightning. I'm telling the truth. I did not get a chance to do it.
1: All right. So I hope I'm that. I'm sorry. You didn't get you you failed on doing your homework, but you're going to do your homework this week, and you're going to call the Hoosier State. Mike Braun, and we're just going to kind of work down that Senate committee and make our phone calls, and we'll just alternate between the different parties because we're going to be equal opportunity to let both sides know. And really this is a a uh, nonpartisan issue. You really don't find that, um, that it's like a Republican or Democrat. It, it seems like that if you um, – it, it's like – People, aren't, people are offended no matter where they are on the political spe- spectrum. Wouldn't you agree?
2: Oh, I agree. And since we're talking about politicians, I wanted to bring a little bit of an update uh, to what I had uh, mentioned about oh, a month ago when I was at that college and I met the, attorney, the new Attorney General, Michelle Henry, of Pennsylvania, and the District Attorney of Bucks County, Mike Weintraub. Um, as far as Matt Weintraub, I was sent a one-sentence statement by uh, the uh, uh, assistant district attorney, uh, Sarah Silva, about a week ago, and it basically said uh, they are not going to have any meeting with me to discuss guardianship corruption in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. No explanation at all. And then uh, as far as the attorney general, Michelle Henry, uh I was told by her office that it would be about 6 weeks before any type of meeting would be set up uh to meet with uh, the assistant attorney general to pertaining to guardianship corruption well I called again this morning to get an update on that and I got a return call from a person by the name of Mike and his title is constituent service manager fancy title and his answer was well There are forms that you can fill out for if you don't like the lawyer or if you don't like the judge. There are forms that you can fill out, but there will be no meeting with the attorney general or anybody of her staff to uh, discuss the corruption that's going on with judges and the courts and how they're gouging these poor people out of their life savings. So now you have a woman, attorney general, who doesn't seem to think it's that important to learn about what's going on in guardianship corruption and allowing these corrupt lawyers and corrupt judges to continue in their merry ways of making money. And if the public remembers, about 12 years ago, two state judges were sent to prison for 20 years uh, pertaining to them sending thousands and thousands of children to a private prison just so they would get kickbacks from it and they were sentenced to 20 years in jail. And if you Google corrupt judges, you will find a lot of judges nationwide have been convicted of crimes as judges. Now, here's something that's very interesting. Um, Last November, I contacted the district attorney's office of Montgomery County, and I was talking to a detective, Shade. And I had a two-hour meeting with him. and I gave him documents about the corruption in Montgomery County courthouse and the situation with that I had seen firsthand. So he talked to me for two hours. I gave him a bunch of documents, and I had other people, and the word spread yeah. that people in Montgomery a County us, that were a that bunch were victimized of us
1: contacted them. Yeah,
2: and so uh, so about a month or so later. I was getting calls from these people saying the guy never called me back. So what I found out was when I called the office that Shade had retired about three weeks <laughs> after I first met him, and he simply closed the case. In addition, he contacted you Judge Wildheimer. <laughs> Pardon?
1: I said you scared him off.
2: Yeah. So um, <laughs> so I, uh, I was told uh, – that Judge, that he, the Shade, Detective Shade, had contacted Judge Weilheimer, who was in charge and still in charge of my loved person's case, and told her that I had filed a complaint, a criminal complaint against her. Well, first of all, he violated the confidentiality of an informant and named me. And the fact that this guy was so stupid that the informants for every district attorney's office is their lifeblood. If people don't think their identities will be kept secret, they're not going to give information, and the DA is going to lose a lot of cases. But so uh, the detect- So what happened was in December I wanted to refile, refile my complaint with another detective, and this detective basically threatened me and said that if I filed this complaint against this judge, he would file his department, the da's office would file charges against me for various matters which were all made up so wow. nothing, I i never followed up with that obviously so yesterday i got a little ticked off and i called up the da's office again in montgomery county and i talked to the detective bureau and i said i want to file a complaint against the same judge well the detective that had threatened me with filing criminal charges against me, well, he's the one I'm going to have a meeting with on Tuesday. So uh, I'll keep people informed of what's going on there. Now, if uh, um, I want people, you know, every time on this show, I wish people would have a paper and pen handy because we do give out very good information. Now, what's important is, this guy's name is Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y. He's a detective with Montgomery County DA's office. His phone number is 610-278-6272. His email is joseph.kelly, J-O-S-E-P-H, K-E-L-L-Y, at montgomerycountypa.gov. So anybody in Montgomery County that was victimized by corrupt judges and corrupt lawyers, uh, contact him. And I know they are because, cause you have passed that mm-hmm. along to other people.
0: Yeah,
1: and I guy. did. I haven't flood. heard back yet. Yeah, I have not heard back yet. But I I sent you a copy of my email as right. well. So let's so, flood this guy yeah.
2: with all the cases that. These people have been victimized by corrupt judges and corrupt guardians and corrupt psychologists that made up their evaluations. And maybe, just maybe, we might get this guy or the DA's office to do something. Because, again, you're talking about people that have been victimized, their money has been stolen, they were basically railroaded and had everything they had taken away by these guardians who were basically just in it for the money and who have deprived people of their constitutional rights, of freedom of religion, and also by denying their rights to meet their family members and to talk to them and so forth, they have violated the Eighth Amendment of the Constitution, which prohibits cruel and unusual punishment. So we're talking about criminal acts here, not just we don't like the guy's personality. So please, everybody that's listening, please if you're in Montgomery County and you were victimized call this Kelly Detective Kelly and tell him you want to make an appointment with him to tell him your story
1: and you know the bottom line is when you talk about how how criminal this is and this I learned when I was a speaker at the Wisconsin Social Worker Convention, I I remember talking about, I had to keep it secret until after it happened. But anyway, I was a speaker there, and the one thing that really, that they drove home to me, I picked up so many good things from there, is have you asked the person, the ward, what do they want? And the number one thing is these attorneys, these judges, you're not just supposed to rule. You are supposed to ask the person What do they want? It is not against the law to make a dumb decision. If Britney Spears wanted to blow all her money, that was her right. Anybody is not, it's it's not against the law to blow your money, get rid of it, whatever you were going to do, it's your choice. And none of these predators are asking the victims, what do you want? How do you want to live? What are your wishes? Not a one. Let me guess. Reverend Ralph, was your very special person? Did they ever ask them what they wanted? I mean, they were driving their car. I'm guessing they were pretty in their right mind where they asked.
2: That's exactly right. And I know we're counting down the minutes, so I wanted to repeat what I said in the very beginning. The Pennsylvania statute, Title 20, Section 5521, gave the duty of the guardian of the person, which is a law as far as... They are supposed to involve the person, the incapacitated person. They're supposed to ask them what they want. They're tr- they're supposed to get them involved in how their life is to be run. It is not a privilege; it's a right. It's the law. And I want people to this check in their been, states.
1: Yeah. This has been a great show. We're down to a minute left. I just want to mention. Uh, If you are in the Chicago area, there's a group of people in Chicago trying to unite. Cook County, Chicago, you can get a hold of myself or Reverend Ralph at his website. We are also looking for people in Nebraska. We've got a case in Nebraska, and we are trying to unite other victims in the state of Nebraska. If anyone is around those two states, we're also always looking for people in Michigan. Michigan knows so many people, but we could always use more. Those, these states, and, of course, Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, we are all trying to unite with you. Ra- Reverend Ralph, tell your website again where people can get a hold of you.
2: ProtectMyParents.us. And in their closing seconds, Cos, and thank you for this, uh, we, I want to do a section uh, either next week or the week after with people who have been denied the right to see their husbands and wives. Because I was going to talk about a gentleman who hasn't seen his wife for three years, and he's been living in his car. And I know he's listening; he's a longtime listener. And I want to talk about this, and have those people contact me. And next week or the week after, I will give out his phone number so people can call him. And I want to make a, I want to get a group together of people that have been denied the the humane ability to see and talk to their husbands or their wives that the Guardian has forbid them to see. That's going to be a great show.
1: It sure is, and it looks like we're out of time. Good night, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you, Angela and Cynthia and Reverend Ralph. Good night. Good
2: night. Good night. Good
0: night.